Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 27. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. And he did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn. There it did again, conspicuous horn between his eyes. I have a trouble with that word. And he came to the, the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, and, but, he, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as great as the prince of the host, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel, Make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king, and as for the horn that was broken in place of which four others rose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgression, transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, 
but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Now, folks, as you probably can see, there's a lot here. And this chapter has actually some of the most debated passages over the years among Bible scholars. We're going to wrestle with some things tonight. Now, let's begin, though, by going back to where we left off in chapter 7, verse 28. We have to kind of set the stage for where we ended up last time. Here in chapter 7, verse 28, after his first vision, Daniel says, Here is the end of the matter. Now, as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, chapter 7, verse 28 ends the section of Daniel that's been written in Aramaic. If you remember, the book of Daniel started in Hebrew, but in chapter 2, the second half of verse 4, go back to Daniel chapter 2, the second half of verse 4, it switches from Hebrew to Aramaic all the way until chapter 7, verse 28. Go to chapter 2, look at verse 4, then the Chaldean said to the king, in Aramaic, after that word Aramaic, the rest of the scripture, everything we've studied so far, has been, was written in Aramaic, all those verses, all the way until chapter 7, verse 28. If you had a manuscript in your hand of the book of Daniel written you know, back then, it would have Hebrew in the very first chapter, and when you get to chapter 2, second half of verse 4, it switches to Aramaic. And all of chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to the end of verse 28 of chapter 7, is all in Aramaic, and chapter 8, verse 1, in the rest of the book of Daniel, is all back in Hebrew again. Now, most Bible scholars are in agreement here, and I, am, I think it's the same way as well. Most agree that the Aramaic section dealt with things pertaining to God's revealing Himself to the people of the Gentiles. But the conclusion of Daniel's prophecy deals with God's deliverance, future deliverance of the people of Israel. Thus it is written in Hebrew. And so you're going to see that what we've already looked at, if you remember chapters 2 through chapter 7, you see what's going on and how God's revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar and to Belteshazzar and all these people and the Gentiles. But once we get into chapter 8, it's really going to start dealing a lot now with what is to come for the people of Israel. All right, And I believe that's why that section was written in Hebrew. Now, Daniel in chapter 7, verse 28, is greatly distressed and disturbed by his vision of the four beasts, and especially the fourth beast that he saw. He's so alarmed, the scripture says, that his color changed. What color do you think his color changed to? You want to take a wild guess? Probably white. He probably turned pale. Actually, we've seen this before, not with Daniel, but with a Babylonian king. Go to chapter 5, look at verses 5 and 6. Remember when Belshazzar's having his party? And uh, he sees the writing on the wall, and the hand just shows up and starts writing on the wall. Look at chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. It says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. That Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Jump down to verse 9. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. So now we see Daniel's color change. Now I point this out for a reason. We got, we got no problem understanding why Belshazzar's color changed. When God showed up and started writing on the wall, he got real scared. I put it in my notes this way, and I want you to hear me. If a man who has spent a night 
in a lion's den, is bothered by the coming Antichrist's kingdom, so should we be. If a man who can spend a night calmly in a room full of lions is bothered and scared and disturbed by the vision he saw of the Antichrist's kingdom, we should be too. Maybe, thank God, not those of us who are going to be here at the time, but we need to take seriously what is to come and let people that we know and love know this is coming. Jesus is coming back to the earth. We don't need to just tell people that Jesus came and died for your sins. Yes, we need to tell people that, but we also need to tell them that he's coming again. But between now and when he comes again, things are going to make the pandemic of COVID-19 seem like nothing. Listen to what Jesus says. Go to Luke 21. Go to Luke 21, verses 34 through 36. Luke 21, verse 34. But Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to what? Escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. How do we escape what's to come? We put our faith in Jesus Christ and He protects us and He spares us the wrath that is to come. Folks, let me tell you, there is a time coming and coming soon that the Bible says is going to be so bad and so wicked. Man's going to be killing each other so much so that if God doesn't cut the day short, no human being will survive that time period. And Daniel had been given a vision of the four kingdoms, and the fourth beast was so terrifying, it disturbed him, and Daniel turned pale. Now, back to chapter 8 of Daniel. Daniel now has another vision. Chapter 7, he had his first vision, and that was in 553 B.C. This is now 551 B.C. Remember, the B.C. years count down toward Jesus' arrival. It's during the third year of Belshazzar as king of Babylon. Look at chapter 8 again, verse 1. It says, The third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that one which had already appeared to me at the first. By the way, if it's the third year of Belshazzar's reign, what year is it? Good for you. It's the fourth. You all have been paying attention. Good for you. All right. Now, it's been two years since Daniel's vision in chapter 7. It's been two years since chapter 7. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 1. In the first year, which is the second year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream. All right, so this is now two years later that God gives him this other vision. Now, Daniel is 65 years old at this time, and even though he's 65, he still has some authority in the Babylonian government, but possibly not super high ranking since 12 years later, from what we're reading here, Belshazzar appears to be ignorant of Daniel. L let me show you what I mean. Look at chapter 8, look at verse 27. Chapter 8, verse 27, Daniel says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So here, Daniel goes about the king's business. But go back with me to Daniel chapter 5. It appears that Belshazzar, the king at the time, remember when the Medes and the Persians took over that night, and he was killed that night of the handwriting on the wall. It appears that he has to be kind of told about Daniel. Look at chapter 5, verses 10 through 16. Chapter 5, verse 10. 
The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, remember that was your predecessor, that word father means predecessor, doesn't mean it was his actual dad, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel is working for Belshazzar, but it's kind of obvious that Belshazzar doesn't really know him. So he's got authority in Babylon, but he must not be super high-ranking at this point under this authority. He was high-ranking under his, uh, the predecessor of Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar. But at this time, when Belshazzar is in power, even though he's doing the king's business, if you remember, 12 years later from him doing the king's business, he's, he's, Belshazzar is having to be told, there's this guy, Daniel, I've heard of you. So it's kind of interesting how he's high-ranking, but not super, super high-ranking, because Belshazzar didn't know who he was. Now, in this vision, in chapter 8, Daniel is awake, as opposed to the last vision. We're not going to go there, but if you compare chapter 7, verse 1, and chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, you'll notice that Daniel's first vision that he had in 553 B.C. is while he was asleep, God gave him a vision in a dream. But this time, he's awake. And God just gives him a vision. He all of a sudden, it's kind of like Paul saying, I was either in the spirit or out of the, in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but in the spirit, God took me somewhere. And that's what happens to Daniel. He's taken in a vision by the spirit of God to actually the kingdom of Elam. Anybody want to take a wild guess where Elam is? It's Iran. It's actually Iran. It's Persia. And actually, he's taken to the city of Susa, and a citadel there by the Uli Canal. Now, this is very interesting that Daniel, sitting in Babylon, is taken in a vision to the kingdom that's about to come take over. Now, if you do any kind of study of history, you'll find that actually the city of Susa was the kingdom of El the capital of Elam for many, many, many years, as, as some scholars put it, antiquity. But Babylon's in power right now, and Susa's really not in the power that it used to have. But Daniel's sitting in Babylon, and he's taken by the Spirit into what is going to be the capital of the new kingdom, Persia, Iran. Actually, go with me real quick to uh, chapter 1 of Nehemiah. If you remember, first kingdom that had, con had control over Israel was Babylon. Second kingdom was who? Yep, very good, Jeremy. Needs in the Persians. Well, when the story of Nehemiah happens, it's when the Persians 
Medes and the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians is in control. Go to Nehemiah chapter 1. Look at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. There it is again. Now again, Nehemiah happens after what Daniel wrote. Go to Esther. Go to Esther chapter 1. The whole story of Esther happens while the Medes and the Persians are in power. Actually, the end of Daniel's book is going to show the Medes and the Persians in power. But Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Now in the days of Azuharis, the, uh, the Azuharis who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all of his officials and servants and the army of Persia and Media, the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Jump over to chapter 2 of Esther. Look at verses 1 through 5. So after these things, chapter 2, verse 1 of Esther, after these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for, out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel. There it is again, under custody of Hegei, the king's eunuch, and who is in charge of the women, let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young women who please the king and, the, of, and be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew, listen, in Susa the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. So go to Daniel chapter 1 again. Look at verse 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw in the vision, I was taken to Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal. So, Daniel, before the Medes and the Persians take over, is given a vision, and he's taken into what will become the headquarters of the new kingdom that's going to be over Babylon and the rest of that area. Now, the, the vision, in the vision, he sees a ram with two horns. We've already dealt with this a bunch, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time. The ram with the two horns is who? Medes and the Persians. Remember, it had one horn was bigger than the other, and it was, had come up later. That's the Persian kingdom was a little bit greater than the Median kingdom. But also, because of God's word, look at chapter 8, verse 20. If you doubt me as to who the ram is, Gabriel tells us, as for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Now, go back and look at chapter 8, though, and look at what direction the ram conquers. All right, look at verse 4. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. Which direction did he not go? He didn't go to the east. Again, any of you like history? Go do a little research, and you'll find that Cyrus, the king of Persia, conquered north and south and west 
He didn't conquer to the east. Just like the prophecy said. Now, then a male goat comes, which has one horn between its eyes. It came and destroyed the ram. Now, the, Daniel even says that the, look at verse 7. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. So the male goat comes now with one horn. And even though this ram had been defeating everyone, except didn't go to the east, this goat comes from where? From the west. If you know anything about geography, that's where Greece is. Comes from the west. It's Alexander the Great. The one horn is Alexander the Great. And again, go back to Daniel chapter 8, look at verse 21. Gabriel tells us who the goat is. The goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Who was the first king of Greece in that area? It was Alexander the Great. And oh, by the way, remember how it says that the goat was enraged against the ram? This is interesting. The one horn not only is Alexander the Great, Alexander had a hatred for the Persian kingdom. Because Xerxes, the king of the Median Persian kingdom at that time, conquered Greece. When the Medes and the Persians came, became in power, the Xerxes conquered Greece. And Darius III, when he was in power of the Median Persian kingdom, he gave help and money to defeat Alexander, and he also played a part in the murder of Alexander's father, Philip. Alexander knew this. When Alexander Great came into power, he had the chance to go do something about the Medes and the Persians. And during that time that Alexander the Great was coming into power and starting to exert himself on the globe, Darius pays money and tries to get some people to fight against Alexander and helped in the plot to murder Alexander's father, Philip. And his father was killed by Darius III. Well, Darius III helped. He funded it, which made Alexander the Great very, very angry. Oh, and by the way, if you do a little study of history, you'll find that when Darius III realizes, oh, dip, this guy Alexander is really going to win, he tries to make a peace treaty with Alexander the Great. And Alexander would have nothing to do with it and just absolutely destroyed them. He didn't agree to, to peace. He took it as his opportunity to wipe them out. He was angry. I think God, through Daniel, said the goat was enraged against the ram. Now, Alexander conquered so much land in such a short period of time that his warriors actually rebelled when he tried to go into India. If you do a study, Alexander the Great's kingdom reached its fullest extent in just 10 years, which back in that day... That's, that's unbelievably fast. Think of how much land they got to cover. And they don't have tanks and planes. And the amount of victories. And, they, and remember the prophecies in chapter 7 and the prophecy in chapter 8 that talk about how swift the goat moves and so on and the leopard went. In just 10 years, he had accomplished getting all of his, the land that he was going to get. So he tries now, because he wants more, to go into India. And his warriors are so worn out, so exhausted... They all pretty much just sit down and say, we ain't doing it. We're done. We're tired. And so he decides that he's going to go back 
and set up his kingdom in Babylon. That's where he's going to make the center of his kingdom. Even though he's from Greece, he's going to make the center of his kingdom Babylon. So he goes back and he begins to set up his kingdom in Babylon. But unfortunately, or depending, fortunately, however you look at it, Alexander the Great didn't last much longer. After his victories in battle, he actually, when he went back to Babylon to build his kingdom and set up the capital, he didn't last much longer for a lot of different reasons all together. One, he had a lot of wounds from battles. He wasn't one of these guys that would just watch the fighting go on. He would be in them, and he had a lot of wounds. On top of that, he had a real drinking problem. And on top of that, he had a real eating problem. He liked to overdrink, and he loved to overeat. And with the battle injuries, his overeating, his overdrinking, he got malaria. And he didn't make it, and he died. And his kingdom was immediately divided to four of his generals. Just like Daniel's prophecy said hundreds of years prior. Oh, by the way, he had a, a, a wife and a child that he was trying to try to get the kingdom to become his, and it never happened. Never happened. And his generals, the whole kingdom was divided to them. And as the prophecy said, but they didn't have his power. Those generals, if you want to write them down and do a little research, are Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. I could spell them for you because I've got them written down here, but we've got to be done by 8 o'clock. It's Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Now, Seleucus is important because the prophecy, as we saw tonight, said from one of these four horns would come a horn slash king that would oppress the Jews. Go back to Daniel chapter 8 real quick and look at chapter 8, verse 8. It says, Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. They divided the whole kingdom into these four guys. Now, out of one of them came a, excuse me, a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Anybody want to take a wild guess who the, where the glorious land is? It's Israel, especially Jerusalem. Yes. And from Seleucus' kingdom, eventually came this young man called Antiochus Epiphanes. Actually, he gave himself the name Epiphanes. He chose that name for himself. And the name Epiphanes means manifest God. He chose, Antiochus is a ruling name, but he chose Antiochus Epiphanes because he saw himself as a God. If you know anything about, there's, there, there's lots of historical evidence about Antiochus Epiphanes. And during the intertestamental period between what we know as Malachi and Matthew, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes lived during that time, and he actually went and defeated and, uh, the Jews, and actually, uh, the Jews were in their land at that time, and they're under, you know, Greece's authority. But he went in and destroyed their worship of God in the temple stepped into the temple, declared himself to be God, actually put a statue, an image of, the, of God Zeus in there, and he offered pigs on the altar. Later on, during the Maccabean revolt, he was dealt with. But here is where the debate, chapter 8, verse 9 and following, 
Here's where the debate that I talked about at the beginning of our study among Bible scholar really begins. So before I get into what the debate is, I want to read these verses to you again. And I want you to read along with me and allow the Spirit of God to just begin speaking to you. Don't sit back and say, well, just wait until Jim tells us. Because I may be wrong. Now, I'll stand before God for what I teach. And trust me, I won't stand up here and say, thus says the Lord, or what, here's what I believe God's word says, unless I really, really believe it. But I'm going to be held accountable for, for that one day, for what I say. But you can't say, well, Jim said it was, and God's going to say, I never told you to follow Jim. I gave you my own spirit to live within you and to teach you and to guide you. And if you stand here before me saying, well, we followed Jim, how's that going to fly? My job is to point you to his word and to him and have you teach have him teach you and not me. I have a responsibility to guide and to teach, but you can't stand behind me. Plus, I'm losing weight and I'm getting harder to hide behind. Go to Daniel chapter 8. Look at verse 9 and following. Out of one of the horns came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And the host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of the transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? the transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and its host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Now when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with two horns... With the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Now as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and shall be broken. He shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. 
Now, some see this horn that was referred to in chapter 8, verse 9 and following, see this horn as speaking only about Antiochus Epiphanes. There are some Bible scholars that see the whole rest of this chapter is only talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. And they have some ways of trying to make that work out. Others see this chapter 8 only referring to the section of chapter 8 and following, only referring to the Antichrist, which is still future. But I see this prophecy as speaking about both. I believe it begins pointing to Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a picture of the Antichrist who is to come. But I don't see the whole prophecy here dealing just with Antiochus Epiphanes. I actually think it briefly mentions Antiochus Epiphanes, and most of it is talking about the Antichrist who is to come. And I get that because of the interpretation of Daniel and how Daniel talks about the fact that it's going to be about the time of the end. Yes, Antiochus Epiphanes was an amazing picture of the Antichrist who is to come. But a lot of the things that are said here don't apply to him in my mind. And so we're going to take a look tonight. And I want to show you from other places in Scripture that many times in Scripture we see God prophesy about a coming judgment that has both present and future fulfillments. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Go to Jeremiah chapter 50. My interpretation, if you will, of this being talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, but also mainly talking about the coming Antichrist at the end of time, uh, I think it has precedent because we see God do this a lot. In Jeremiah 50, look at verses 11 through 29. Here we see very clearly that there's a coming judgment on Babylon for what they did to Israel. We'll start in chapter 50, verse 11. Sorry, chapter 51, I apologize. I wrote 50 in my notes, and I'm like, that's not the right place. Go to chapter 51, verse 11. The utter destruction of Babylon, you see, is your headline heading for chapter 51. But look at verse 11. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Set up a standard against the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong. Set up watchmen, prepare the ambushes, for the Lord has both planned and done what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, your end is come. The threat, thread of your life is cut. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, surely I will fill you with men as many as locusts, and they shall raise the shout of victory over you. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens. He makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. You are my hammer and weapon of war. With you I break nations in pieces. With you I destroy kingdoms. With you I break in pieces the horse and its rider. With you I break in pieces the chariot and the charioteer. With you I break in pieces the man and woman. With you I break in pieces the old man and the youth. 
With you I break in pieces the young man and the young woman. With you I break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you I break in pieces the farmer and his team. With you I break in pieces the governors and commanders. I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes for all the evil that they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. Behold, I'm against you, O destroying mountain, declares the Lord, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags and make you a burnt mountain. No stone shall be taken from you for a corner and no stone for a foundation, but you shall be a perpetual waste, declares the Lord. Set up a standard on the earth. Blow the trumpet among the nations. Prepare the nations for war against her. Summon against her the kingdoms of Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz. Appoint a marshal against her. Bring up horses like bristling locusts. Prepare the nations for war against her, the kings of the Medes, with their governors and deputies in every land under their dominion. The land trembles and writhes in pain for the Lord's purposes against Babylon's stand to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. Now, hang on for a second. We see very clearly here the prophecy said that God's going to judge Babylon for what they've done to Israel, and He's going to use the Medes and the Persians. But He also says, I'm going to use all the nations of the earth to come against you, and there's not going to be a human inhabitant. Actually, I don't have the time to take you there, but I could show you hundreds of other prophecies about this coming day that show that the prophecies say that the final judgment of Babylon will be such that there won't even be a wild animal. It's just going to be desolate, destroyed. No human will ever live there ever again. So was he talking about the Medes and the Persians coming in? Or was he talking about the final judgment at the end of time? Good for you. The answer is yes. Because the prophecy was saying that I'm going to use the Medes and the Persians against you, but intermixed with the prophecy was also a future fulfillment when God judges all the nations. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, the last one is going to be Babylon, and it will be judged harshly, and no one will ever live there again. When the Medes and the Persians came in, did they leave it desolate with no inhabitant, or did they take over? They took over. They stayed there. Daniel worked for the next powers that be. But in the prophecy was a present and a future fulfillment. Let me give you one more. Go to Isaiah chapter 65. This one has given some people a bellyache, but that's because they don't understand how prophecy works. In Isaiah 65, look at the verses 17 through 25. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Won't that be awesome? But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Then it goes on and talks about how a lion can lay with a lamb and all that stuff. Hang on for a second. Didn't he just say, I'm going to build a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things won't be remembered or even come into mind, and I'm going to create in Jerusalem a wonderful place, and if someone dies at a hundred, they'll only be considered a young person, and wait a minute. Well, what you don't understand is this is prophecy. The first verse, 17 is talking about the new heaven and the new earth after the millennial kingdom. 
Remember, after the millennial kingdom comes the eternal state, the new heaven, the new earth, where there's no seas anymore, and there's no sun, and there's no moon, because Jesus is the light and all that. But verses 18 through following are talking about the millennial kingdom. And during the millennial kingdom is when there's still going to be sin, and people are going to die. But if they die at 100, they'll be like an infant, and they'll be considered a, a, a wicked person because there's going to be so much righteousness and how cool it'll be. But again, the prophecy had partial fulfillment and a future fulfillment. I want you to understand, I believe Daniel chapter 8 does the same thing. You're going to see it when we get to chapter 11 as well. Daniel chapter 11 has a, a partial fulfillment talking about Antiochus Epiphanes and a future fulfillment talking about the coming Antichrist. Daniel chapter 8 verses 9 through 27 is similar. All right. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes did all of his dastardly deeds, like I said, in the time period between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, around the 160s B.C. It's what we call the intertestamental period. He stepped into the holy place, like I said, of the temple himself, erected an idol to Zeus, and offered pigs on the altar. Many years after Antiochus Epiphanes had entered, offered pigs on the altar in Jerusalem, in the temple, Jesus came to the earth and was asked about the time of the end. He actually described Daniel's abomination of desolation prophecy as still yet to happen. Go with me to Matthew 24. If you remember the beginning of Matthew 24, as Jesus' disciples asking him about a sign of his coming in the end of the age, and he starts laying out, as you've heard me teach before, about the tribulation period, the time of the birth pains. And he talks about how at the midpoint of the tribulation, there's going to be this one abomination of desolation. Look at Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22. He says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house, and let the one who is in his field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. Hang on. When Jesus said, when you see, still future, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, had Antiochus Epiphanes happened yet? had happened many years before. So after Antiochus Epiphanes, Jesus said that Daniel's prophecy about the abomination of desolation was still future. Do you see why I don't see it all talking about Antiochus Epiphanes? Go back to Daniel chapter 8. Look at verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, there it is, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful place. All right, so hang on for a second. Here we see that term, the, the, the transgression that makes desolate. Jump over to chapter 9. Look at verse 27. And he, when we get to chapter 9, we'll get to who the he is, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, 
And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. When we break down the math of Daniel 9, it'll make a whole lot more sense. But wait till we get there. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Look at verses 11 and 12. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. All right, so again, we see three times at least that this term, abomination of desolation, being referenced in Daniel. Jesus acted like Daniel's speaking of it was still to come, so it can't be Antiochus Epiphanes. Was Antiochus Epiphanes a picture of the future Antichrist? Without question. Was he an amazing copy? Oh, yeah. But there are a couple things in our prophecy that we read tonight. He's going to, this one that it's pointing to is going to rise up against the prince of princes. Who's that? Jesus. He's going to trample down the hosts. You remember, the Antichrist is going to be powered by who? Empowered by who when he takes power? I mean, powered by Satan himself. And who's going to be working with him? Remember at that point, Satan will have been cast out of heaven and the, the demons and the angels that were with him, they're going to be all cast down to the earth, no longer be in the presence of God. Things are going to get so wicked on the earth, it's going to be unbelievable. Folks, again, remember how Daniel turned pale when he saw what was coming? Folks, stop griping about COVID. Stop griping about mass or no mass. Stop griping about all this stuff and begin realizing that this is nothing in comparison to what's still coming. And we keep thinking, as soon as we can just get life back to how it was. Isn't that kind of what we're thinking? Man, I can't wait until we get back to how things were before COVID. I don't think the Bible says it's going to happen in the way you think. Also, Jesus, or the prophecy that Jesus gave through Daniel, said he was going to be defeated, but by no human hand. Antiochus Epiphanes was defeated by human hands. But the Antichrist won't be. Who's going to be defeating the Antichrist? Jesus himself, when he comes, remember, he comes back on the white horse. We're going to come with him. He's covered in blood. We're covered in white. And he will cast him directly, and the false prophet who deceive people, cast him straight into the lake of fire directly. Now go back to Daniel chapter 8, look at verse 27. And it says, I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. I heard you over there. Good. That you're going to find out that you're in good company. John's over here whispering, I still don't. Good. <laughs> Daniel 8.27 says, Daniel didn't understand the vision. Wasn't Gabriel told to make him understand it? But he was also told, look at verse 26. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Folks, I've read a lot of people when I did my study for this Bible study, coming up with all these different explanations for the 2,300 evenings and mornings. Uh, you know how many people are out there who love to do the math and figure things out, and they've got it figured out. I found the secret code. 
By the way, you get a lot of people out there that think the Bible's been written in code. And once you figure the code out, the Bible's not been written in code. It's spiritually understood through those who are humble enough to say, Lord, teach me. And listen, when God chooses to reveal things. Let me have you, if you've never written these scriptures down, write them down and take a look at some things. So go to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. We have to be okay with the fact that there are things in this chapter we don't understand. I'm okay with it. It makes it easier on my head. Oh, I still try to dig and I try to research because, as you're about to see, the Bible says we're supposed to. Look at Proverbs 25 and verse 2. It's the glory of God to conceal things. It's to the glory of God to conceal things. But the glory of kings is to search things out. In other words, God gets glory when he knows stuff we don't know. Do you know why that gives him glory? Because if we knew everything God knew, how impressive of a God is that? You don't want a God that you've got him all figured out. Man, I don't want a God like that, because i got to be honest with you. I may look impressive to some of you sometimes, but those that know me, I'm not too impressive. I'm not super smart. God has blessed me to understand his word for the most part and gifted me to teach it. But when it comes to math, I'm bad. When it comes to remembering things, you say, what an amazing memory you have. No, I have a memory for scripture because God's spirit brings it to my mind. But folks, my kids will tell you, if you ask dad a question and the question starts with, do you remember? The answer is no. Some of you out there that are engineers and you're like really smart that way and can figure out how to launch rockets and go to the moon and have it land at the right orbit and all. That stuff makes my head hurt. I'm not a smart guy. I'm so glad that God knows stuff that Jim doesn't know because there's a lot of stuff I don't know. But we got a problem. We're in the days of increased knowledge. And everybody wants to be able to figure everything out. And God says, I'm not going to always reveal everything to you. And one of the ways I'll know that you trust me is you'll be okay with that, and you don't have to have it all understood. Go to, but that doesn't mean we just sit back and say, well, and, oh, God, only God knows. No, no, no. It's the glory of kings to do what? To search. But be okay if the answer is not yet. If Daniel was told the vision you just saw of the 2300 mornings and evenings, it's a true vision, but it's not referring to something until the time of the end. Seal it up. It's so, Daniel, you're not going to know that one. You're not going to know that one. Go to Daniel chapter 12 real quick. Look at the end of the book of Daniel. Look at the very last part. Look at verse 4. He says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And, and then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank, other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, 
all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And then he goes on to the passage we just read about the days. But he says, go your way till the end and you shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Look at verse 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There's going to be stuff that he hides and we don't know, and that's okay. That's God's stuff. But there are things that are revealed, and we're going to be held accountable for what has been revealed. We're actually living in the days in which the vision has been unsealed. John was told that, unseal the words of the vision. Don't seal them up. We're in that time of the end, and a lot of the stuff we do understand. Like, for example, when we just read in Daniel 12 about times, time, time, times, and half a time, we know what that means, don't we? That's the three and a half years of the end of the tribulation period that the Antichrist comes into power. That part has been revealed to us, but there are other aspects of it that haven't been. And personally, when it comes to the answer of the 2300 mornings and evenings, listen to me, I don't know. And I'm okay with that. I think as we get even closer to the end, it's going to make more sense. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. In other words, when the prophets used to write about the coming Messiah and the salvation that was to come through faith alone and all this church age stuff, they actually sought and sought the Spirit of God and said, look, you're having us write this stuff down. I don't understand it. And they were told it's not for your lifetime. It's going to be for a later time period. Isn't that what Daniel was told? Listen to me. We have a responsibility to preach and teach the book of Revelation. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, it's a message from Jesus to the church. We are to pass it on. There's parts of it we still don't understand. And God says, it's okay, you don't want to understand parts of it. Because the people that understand those parts are the people that are going to be on the earth at that time. Isn't that what Jesus just said in Matthew 24? When he's talking about the abomination of desolation, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, prophesied by Daniel the prophet, what does it say right after that? Let the reader understand. Did you catch that? When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader 
understand. There's a chance that that won't make full sense until that time when they see it. And I think personally, that's when the Jews are going to start to go, uh-oh, aha, Daniel's prophecies, the horn, the fourth beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet. Those Christians were right. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They'll look on him whom they pierced. And the ones that run and listen to Jesus and run out into the wilderness are going to be protected. Remember? The others are all going to be killed. But the ones who that it clicks at that time will realize, oh, now I know what that means. And those Jews will run into the wilderness and God will protect them. And they're going to call out to him and weep. We, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crucified for our iniquities. <laughs> the punishment that brought us peace has been on, on him. And they'll call out and quote Isaiah 53. And then he'll come back. And as you've already heard me teach, he's going to come back to where they're hiding in Moab at Basra. And he's going to take them and lead them out and defeat his enemies and end the tribulation period. Folks, there's stuff here in Daniel that I don't still understand and I don't think we're supposed to. So keep digging, keep searching. But be okay if God says not for you to know. Over the years, it's always made me chuckle that whenever I teach Revelation, and I've taught it a lot, and I'm praying about our next cruise actually being a study of the book of Revelation just on that cruise, cruise ship. It's going to be a blast. But when you get to the part where the seven wonders spoke, and John starts to write down what the seven wonders said, and he's told, no, don't write that down. And I don't know how many people have sat around in a Bible study or a Sunday school class trying to figure out what the seven wonders said. If we're not to know, we're not to know. And that's okay. We're going to begin, we'll get to you in a second here, Jeff. We're going to be, get, begin breaking down chapter 9. There's a lot in chapter 9 we will get to know. Go ahead, real quick. Seven thunders, not wonders. Thank you. Appreciate that. Seven thunders. Hey, I love you all. Thanks so much for coming. We'll see you.